All right, we're alive. Hello, God bless and welcome. I'm Casey Robertson, and you're watching The God Logic Project, where we discuss maintaining a Christian worldview in a post-Christian America. Um, as you guys know, the person that usually hosts this podcast, his name is Kevin Haggerty. He happens to be my dad, and I am taking over today, and um, this should be fun. The two of us together are a hot mess, but <laughs> but this should be fun. Um, this is who I have in my studio today, this beautiful God Logic Project studio. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself, sir? Uh, my name is Kevin Haggerty. I am the founder and host of the God Logic Project. And you're my dad. And I'm Casey's dad, and she's interviewing me today since one day she will take over. One of my daughters will take over the God Logic Project, and now I'm trying to determine which one it'll be. Uh, so could go, could go either way. <laughs> well, I think that it should be me because I'm the funniest one and, and the prettiest one. I'm not the smartest one because that's Carly. Yeah, she, she's probably going to get it. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's be honest. She's more responsible. <laughs> um, okay, anyway, so um, today we're going to be talking about my dad's journey. Um, some of you might know his story a little bit, but I, I just think his story is so super cool and unique because it goes from being addicted to drugs and alcohol to, to being sober and staying sober but not walking in relationship with Christ to then for a very long time, to then walking in relationship with Christ and kind of where he's at now. Super cool story. Um, so I just thought that we should maybe take turns here and um, switch roles and let him kind of tell you what his story is because, like I said, it's very cool, very unique story. So, um, all right, Kevin, why uh, don't you tell us? Call me Daddy. You're not calling me Kevin. Just I'm going on the air. I am calling you Kevin, the plumber. All right. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your family, um, your um, religious bring um, bring up? My background? Yeah. Well, I think the uh, I was raised in New York City in Staten Island, New York uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, really the 80s, I guess. But the uh, uh, I was raised uh, in church. I was an altar boy. I went to Catholic school. Um, I had my parents were my mother particularly was very Catholic. She was I from Ireland, so she was kind of scary Catholic, like Irish Catholic, <laughs> like holy water Catholic, like doom and damnation Catholic. So uh, uh, I had uh, I had that kind of background, but it never really affected me. I think the way it affected my brothers and sisters. So there was five of us, and uh, but uh, I never really. Um, I was never really touched by it. So even though I was an altar boy, I had no real respect for the church or, or what I did as an altar boy or what a priest did as a priest for that matter. Uh, so it was, uh, I was kind of going through the motions because that's what everybody in New York did back then. Your parish life was a big deal, uh, like our church life is around here now. Uh, so it is, uh, but it really was more legalistic. I just did, you know, I, I went to confession. I would lie to the priest because I know he knew my parents. I wasn't going to tell him the truth and he rats me out. Uh, so, uh, he, and I also, uh, you know, when I was an altar boy, I would steal money from the poor box and I would drink the wine in the uh, sacristy, I think it's called. How old were you when you were doing that? <laughs> Single digits. I was young. Uh, so it was, uh, I always had, my, my dad used to joke that he, that he had four good kids in Kevin. Oh so my gosh. I always had, a, I always had, uh, kind of affinity for the bad things you know for being a bad a bad boy um 
I rooted for the Indians in, in movies and the bad guys in movies, I guess. Uh, so it, uh, uh, it was while I was raised in it, and my, my brothers and sisters were all seem, seemingly pretty moved by it. Uh, I wasn't. It never really touched me like it seemed to touch everyone else. Well, okay, so can you go into from being an altar boy into being a teenager and kind of where your life went from there? Yeah, I was uh, I was good at sports, so I was good uh, in what they call the, the Catholic Youth Organization, the CYO League. I played basketball, and I always made the team, and uh, I was I was I enjoyed some success in basketball and, and uh, football, kind of disorganized football mostly till high school. But uh, and and then I ran track. I, I ran up in the seventies and early eighties in New York, uh, road racing, uh, marathoning, and and. Five, you know, 10Ks and 5Ks That's and stuff cool. like that was a big deal. So uh, I remember before I was in uh, high school, my brother was on the track team in high school, my older brother, and so I uh, I would run road races with him, and I'd, I'd have literally basketball sneakers on, jeans, and a snorkel with the, little, with the fur around the hood, and I would run a three-mile race dressed like that and uh, win my age division and get my name in the paper. And uh, – it was the coolest thing ever to get your name in the paper when you're 12 years old or 13, the 12 and under, I guess I was. So, uh, uh, I kind of got a bug for, for sports early in life and I was, uh, I had enjoyed some success at it and, uh, uh ended up going to the same Catholic high school that my brother went to. Um, but it didn't work out so well for me as it did for him. So after two years, uh, uh, I was out and I was in public school, but I never really, I never really went to public school after that. By then, I was pretty heavy into the drinking and the drugs and the partying. And uh, so, ju- uh, junior year and senior year, junior year, I hardly went. I was uh, I was separated from the other students, so there was there was kids that didn't change classes, but the teachers came to us, you know. And we went to the cafeteria when no one else was there, or we had to sit on the other side of the cafeteria with guards. Uh, so I was one of those kids, and then. Uh, uh, ultimately I really didn't show up much for my senior year. I was working and making money and, uh, they, they seemed silly to go to school back then. <laughs> I was making pretty good money working construction. So. Right. <laughs> so then you, um, from my understanding, got sober young, younger than most people get sober. Younger than most people start drinking. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so in, uh, I got sober my first trip. I got sober at 21 in 1989. My first uh, stint in the 12-step programs was in 19, would have to be 1984 or so, 83 or 84. I was 16, and I was in trouble, which was not a shock for me back then. So I had my choice between going to a place called Daytop Village, which is like a uh, boy's town. Mm-hmm. You know, you shave your head and rake leaves until, you, until you, they feel you're rehabilitated. Or I can go to 12-step meetings for one week. You know, and I had been around that. My father was in, in... For one week. Yeah, one week or go away indefinitely. So I went to meetings yeah. for a week. And they picked me up at the house and dropped me off. I didn't have to do anything but go and show up seven days in a row. And uh, uh, the scary thing was at 16, I had an awful lot in common with some 40, 50, 60-year-old dudes. Uh, I had a lot of the same problems already that they had. Uh, but it wasn't enough for me. I didn't never intended to quit drinking. I intended to get out of trouble. That was my whole plan. So... Uh, uh, I went and did what I had to do and never missed a beat in terms of drinking and partying and hanging out in the neighborhood and stuff. So I, I ultimately en- ended up hanging out in, uh, with, uh, with some guys that were like 
like me, they partied hard and they were, we were committing crimes and petty crimes and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and that was the, that was it for me, man. It was like, I was like a little teenage celebrity. So it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, I loved, I loved that, uh, kind of the uh, reputation that went along with being from that neighborhood and being one of my crew, you know, these eight guys that we were always together. Uh, so we had, we got to do, even though we were younger, we got to do and say pretty much anything we wanted, you know, right. so, which was very cool. So, uh, so I chose the life of, uh, I chose the life of a hoodlum over the life of, uh, of a Catholic altar boy. And then, uh, I which lasted another five years like that, uh, knowing that I had a drinking problem. The last two years, cocaine played a big role in my life. And so I, uh. Uh, I kind of credit cocaine in, to some extent for making for making me hit bottom faster. So the last two years of my drinking, 18, set, figure 19, 20, a little bit of 21, I was a maintenance blackout drinker. So I, uh, I had to drink in the morning. I had to drink as soon as I woke up. I had to drink all day, and I also blacked out every day. So I don't remember what I did. It's scary. Uh, all day long, yeah. So I was like a Bowery bum, but I barely had to shave yet. It's crazy. So you get you get sober at 21. Mm-hmm. Then you move to Florida. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I left the neighborhood uh, basically because uh, uh, I needed to get out of that environment, I think. You know, it was still very appealing to me. So I decided on a Wednesday, I think, like my 55th day of sobriety that I was going to move. I couldn't get my parents to let me come visit them. So I would call up and predictably my mother would say, oh, come on down, Kevin. And my father would say, hell no, I don't, we moved down here to get away from him. I don't want him down here. And uh, they had already moved to Florida to Tampa Bay. And uh, so finally I got them to agree to it and I came down and uh, stayed sober, never went back to New York. Uh, and uh, and that's it. The rest, I guess, is kind of history. After, uh, after about a year of being sober, I wanted to drink. You know, I wasn't working the program like everybody else was. I was just being funny. And so uh, I decided that I'm either going to go back to the neighborhood or I'm going to do everything I always wanted to do with my life. And one of the things I ended up doing, your mom, who was my girlfriend at the time, convinced me to go to college like everybody, like our peers. My peers were going to college. Uh, I was not, uh, she was kind of popular and I wasn't. You know, I stayed by myself all the time. I didn't have any friends and, uh, uh so she convinced me to go to college like everybody our ages were going. And uh, so I, I went to college, and uh, I also did stand-up comedy for a few years. So that was kind of the uh, – that was right around a year of, of sobriety. So I was 22 years old. So I remember growing up, and you were you were sober, um, and we knew that. It wasn't like it was a secret or anything. You are very open with us about that. But you weren't going to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um up until I want to say I was in eighth or ninth grade when you started really going to meetings, really pouring into recovery. Um, and, and from what I understand, um, it was based off a deep depression that you finally were at like the end of, yeah. um, which I can relate to because that was my same exact problem too. I was at this depression, you know what I mean? Suicidal, ready to, ready to just end it all. It's too much for me. And then finally was ready to pour into, like really was rock bottom, ready to pour into my recovery. Um, and then finally you start going to meetings, you're doing that. Um, what were you, when you were going to meetings, would you consider yourself a believer of God then? 
Um, what I'm wondering is, how long were you a believer up into how long till you were in relationship? So we as Christians believe there's a difference between a believer and somebody in relationship. Um, like I was a believer for the last six years, I would say, but only really in true relationship for the last two. So how in your story um, did that play a role? In, and finally, like maybe there is something bigger than me out there um, to going into definitely a believer. Like was it like a just kind of a, slow gradual thing or was it like one day you're like this is it like I totally understand now or well I I was never I don't think I was ever an atheist in other words I always believed it always made more sense to me that there was a design behind everything rather than uh chance right mm -hmm. like a uh, pri primordial ooze made an amoeba that was struck by lightning and and right. life <laughs> and it just <laughs> they taught us that in school and it seems kind of silly to me that somebody would believe that uh, but I also wasn't, uh, like, it, I, I I just needed God to stay out of my way, sort of, you know. So I knew there was a God, but he just, you know, he could ride in the truck with me, but he better not touch the radio type of thing, you know. Right. Uh, so he, uh, uh, to me, my relationship w with God was uh, kind of equal equal partners in this thing. So uh, I'll, I'll call on God when I need him. Like, he's my house boy, you know. Right. Uh, but he... Uh, uh, to me, it was, I, I believed, I had a lot of respect for people that, that were Catholic or Christian or any religion, uh, but I just didn't think I needed to be. So in my recovery, you mentioned me not going to meetings. We'll back up a little bit. But in my recovery, uh, I knew how important the 12-step programs right, were for right. people and for somebody like me. But I thought that all I needed to do was toughen up a little bit, which was my, <laughs> my go-to, you know, don't show weakness, be tough. And don't drink, and you should be all right. So when I, my bottom was I stopped breathing. So drinking again wasn't really another option. Right. I was dying from it, you know. So, um, so the, uh, uh, the idea that, uh, that I needed to hold hands and pray and get a sponsor and talk about my feelings, I, not for me. I right. understand you people had to do that. Everybody around me had to do that, but they weren't. You know, they, they weren't me. I didn't have to do those things. And that kind of thinking had me, I mean, 15, 16 years ago, I was ready to kill myself over money. Uh, and uh, I wasn't, you know, truth is when I was 21, I really wasn't worth saving then. I mean, I was, I had no, uh, no measurable redeeming qualities. I was just a bad kid, right? I was the epitome of a bad kid. You know, sometimes you get a bad kid. I joke about it all the time with you. Sometimes it's not parenting. Sometimes it's just a bad kid. Right. Uh, but the uh, uh, then in 37 years old or whatever I was, uh, God saved me again. I wasn't worth saving the first time, and here he is doing it again, you know. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, uh, I knew that, I knew instantly um, that uh, that I had to go to meetings again. I had to do the things that I, I haven't been doing for 17 and a half years of sobriety. So I can tell you that it, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but you may have heard it on one of the shows, but at 1030 in the morning, I'm sitting on the end of my bed hurt, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm losing my money and I'm, I don't, I'm in a kind of a, a, a laborious marriage and all I have is money. And, uh, and now I'm losing my money. And, um, uh, I just, at 1030 in the morning, I was just, so upset I was going to take some pills to calm my nerves. Pills I didn't take from my back because I'm an alcoholic. Right. Now I'm going to take them to calm my nerves. So that's red flag number one. Mm -hmm. 
red flag number two is, you know, I was getting ready to self-medicate. Then I'm finally, I'm like, you know, I got insurance. These kids would be better with a better father. They'd be better off with, I tried normal life. I tried to be like everybody else. It's not for me. I'm not, you know, I've always been a jinx. I've always been a failure. This is no different. Uh, so I, I was going to just take all the pills and go lay down and die. And uh, I didn't. I put the pills back. I don't want to ruin the ending, but I didn't kill myself. <laughs> uh, I put the pills back in the jar, and, and maybe an hour later, I'm sitting on the end of the same bed, and I'm wringing my hands again, this time in joy. Mm. Uh, I can't believe that God saved me again, and, and it dawned on me, I have nobody to tell it to. So I have employees, and I have customers, but I don't have any friends. I'm halfway right. through my life, and I don't have any friends. And... Uh, I knew that that night I went to a meeting, and I probably went to 270 in, nine, in the first 90 days. I used to lie to your mother, my ex-wife, about where I was so I can go to two meetings, you know. Mm. Uh, so most, most guys lie to their wives to go have fun. I lie to go to meetings. Uh, <laughs> and I would lie to my customers. I'm like, i got to go run and pick up some material, and I'd go to the dry dock for a couple of hours and then come back and finish their job with a box of screws or whatever. Right. Uh, so I, I knew the second time that I had wasted my first chance. That's for sure. Um, so for me, in walking into relationship with Christ, I needed something bigger than me. I didn't need to, I didn't need facts. I didn't need, this is like even, I didn't even need logic. I needed something that was bigger than me that I didn't understand and I didn't want to, right? Like I needed something like magical, for me to really understand that there's something bigger than me out there. But other people like you and like my husband, Adam, needed logic, needed science. You know what I mean? Um, How would you say that science and history and and digging into those things really played a role in your beliefs in walking into that relationship with God? Well, you probably know this about me already, but I tend to watch nerdy things on TV. I knew that, yes. So, uh... Uh, instead of watching Golden Girls, I would watch a documentary on Hitler or something, you know. I'm tr- always trying to learn something. And uh, I was home one night at the at the Tarpon Springs house, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very rare that I would be home by myself. So I knew I was going to be home with no kids and no girlfriend and uh, had the house to myself. And this was So I stopped and got a pizza, and then I got a 12-pack of Coke because I was sober and going to meetings at the time. And Coke is awesome. Yes. And so... Uh, I'm sitting down in the living room and I'm flipping through Netflix and I see a doc. I'm going through, of course, the documentary section and uh, I see The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, the documentary, not the movie. And uh, so I said, ah, what the heck? I'll watch this while I eat. And in the beginning, I could kind of dismiss everything he was saying, you know, as, you know, you're not being very critical. You're not, that's not, you know, he's just not a great thinker like I am, right? And, uh, but then he got to proof of the resurrection. And, uh, and I stopped eating, and I was sitting forward, and I was really paying attention. And, and he's making a very good case for proof of, of somebody dying and coming back to life, literally. Mm. And so it's circumstantial evidence, but it's evidence, and you got to explain it, you know. Right. So uh, I, uh, I ended up watching the second half over again, and I had a lot of friends that were Christians. Uh, at the time, we were going to the Salvation Saloon in, in Palm Harbor, mm-hmm. and— uh, Uh, But it it never really, again, wasn't really affecting me, but I was riding motorcycles with my buddies, and it was cool, you know. And uh, uh, so I had a lot of Christian friends, and uh, they would always want me to read this book, read that book, and give me Bibles and stuff. And uh, so after I watched this, I uh, I went and found one of the Bibles they had given me, and I started calling people that were driving me crazy 
remember Sean, uh, AJ's mother, Missy, uh, Justin. They were always trying to, uh, Papa Lou, always trying to make me a Christian. So I started calling the people like, what was that book you wanted me to read? Where, where's, what was the name of it? I would get in the plumbing truck and drive to their house at 1130 at night to get the book from them, you know. And I locked myself in the room for two, three weeks and just studied and read books. And uh, about a about a week into it, I realized that I'm different now. Something's changed. So I went back and looked at the calendar. And uh, it was September 24th, 2010, that I was home alone that night. And I guess you had basketball and somebody had something else and blah, blah, blah. So I was all by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so September 24th, I happened to know the day that I got sober and I happened to know the day that I came to believe in Christ. And it was September 24th, 2010. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's what started the God logic project. So I I started off teaching apologetics once a month uh, or once a week. And, uh, at the saloon, I, I mean, I shared at the men's Bible study one week and that first Wednesday and, uh, and didn't know anything about the Bible. Catholics don't really study the Bible like Protestants do. Exactly. And, uh, I, uh, they sent me to Lakeland for a class, and I, me and my friend Mark came, went to Lakeland for the weekend, came back, and I was, I was teaching Bible study uh, just a couple months into this, um, which in hindsight, I, you know, I probably was not ready. But uh, uh, I got into, into apologetics, and, which is simply a reasonable defense of your faith, and, and right. that's how the God Logic Project started. Now it's morphed into all this. You know? Yeah, that, I think that is um, one of the coolest parts to your story is, is the way that you were always a nerd. You you said it, so I can say it now. That was kind of cool, too, though. Um, I had tattoos and muscles, and I rode a Harley, so that's pretty cool. You were actually really embarrassing, but we won't get into that today. <laughs> um, but I think that part is really cool because you were always into science. Growing up, I remember I would ask you a math question, and it would turn into this long story about Abraham Lincoln. And I'm like, dude, I just want to know the answer to the, what this math question is, bro. Like, stop going off on these tangents. Like, we would literally say to mom, can you help me with this math? And she's like, I'm not really good with this. Like, you should ask your dad. I'm like, heck no, I'm not asking him because I'm not trying to sit at this table for the next hour and a half. I just want to know what the answer to this question is. And I, it was, like, always a thing. Like, my dad was into science. And my dad was in history, and it was annoying at the time. But now, as an adult, I find it very interesting, very intriguing. Um, and, like, what would you say now, because of all your studying and, and the way you were raised really to be into science, like you would skip school as a kid and as a middle schooler and go to the aquarium or go to the <laughs> zoo, bro? Like you weren't even, like, skipping school to go, like, smoke pot like well, most of us. I did that too. Yeah. Uh, I would I would cut out of school. And I would go, this is my junior year, I think. I would cut out of school and I'd drive to the Brooklyn Aquarium by myself and uh, get high and, and walk around the Brooklyn Aquarium by myself all day and then drive back to Staten Island. Or I would go to the Staten Island Zoo, which back then had like nothing but like 90 rattlesnakes. There was like <laughs> nothing there. Uh, but I would walk around the Staten Island Zoo by myself high. Uh, I, I would drive to, I'd take, I'd take the subway up to uh, Upper East Side of Manhattan and I'd walk back all the way to South Ferry by myself and, uh, and just get high and drink and take the subway a little bit and get off in this neighborhood and get off, you know, street performers and eat the food and drink the beer from bodegas. And uh, that was kind of, I liked being by myself and just kind of discovering stuff. I bought a camera at that. Well, I didn't buy the camera. I, well, I bought the camera with money. I just stole the money to get the camera. Right. And, uh, 
I bought a cool Canon T70. It was like the camera back then. And uh, I would walk around Manhattan taking black and white pictures with actual film that you had to get developed. That crazy. is crazy. You're, <laughs> you are old. <laughs> you are seriously old. Um, we're going to open the phone lines up soon, but um, just out of curiosity, what um, kind of things as far as science and history goes where that kind of conflict with your um, relationship with Christ now? So, like, what kind of stuff did you start, like, that things you believed in maybe even before um, that made sense as far as science and history, but then once you started believing, you're like, actually, I don't think that makes sense as science. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, that's really an interesting thing that you've well, always explained that stuff to me. I love that. What I wanted to do, what I always wanted to do uh, was teach you guys how to think, not what to think. So right. the reason that the explanations were so long was I wanted you to know how I got there with my, what made, you know, what thought pattern brought me to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So, uh, because if, 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 and I think we're failing our young people in, in this is we, we teach kids in school what to think. Really scary. That's really, scary. Uh, indoctrinating them in a, in a certain worldview. Mm -hmm. I'm at the point now in 2020, and I've been here for a couple of years, but I'm not interested in my kids going to college if it's not technical college. They're not learning uh, one of the STEMs, the science or, uh, or uh, computers or something like that. Because if you go, like I did, for a liberal arts degree, uh, you are now, uh, if you don't give them the answer they, they, they expect or want or believe, they're going to fail you. So they are, we, are, we are sending kids into, we're sending Christian kids into an atheistic and a militantly atheistic in some, in some cases environment, and uh, we're expecting them to survive that. So um, it's been very important to me with you two, with the two older kids and then with the two younger kids, that they know how to think and not just what to think, that they can derive these conclusions right. themselves, that they have every right to have an opinion that everybody else has, right? right. So uh, having said that, I always looked at the, the gospel message as figurative. Uh, I thought Jesus was uh, like the best person that ever lived and a perfect role model right. in a sense. But uh, I didn't believe he walked on water or turned water into wine. I certainly didn't believe that he died and came back to life until uh, I was 43 years old when that happened. Uh, and the, um, but the idea that, that that did happen literally to me uh, was the beginning. So my, my, all of my faith and everything I've done since is, is, is all my, my faith in Christ stems from the resurrection. So I heard somebody say one time that the, the heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. And I, I kind of can relate to that. So if it doesn't make sense in my head, if someone tells me something or if I see something on TV, I automatically start doing the math in my head. You know, right. like that doesn't make any sense. I mean, as much as emphatically as they believe it and, it, and if they are speaking from a point of authority, uh, if they're a biologist and they're talking about biology, then I would ha I have to consider that. But that doesn't mean that it's... It's, uh, it's the end all. So I think if we build our science on bad science, we're, we're screwed, right? We get further from the truth, not closer to the truth. Right. So, uh, Darwinian evolution is the one that, uh, the idea that we evolved from a single celled organism that we all have a common ancestor, uh, was, there's a lot of them that, that I studied and, mm -hmm. uh, battled with, uh, and the, uh, but the idea that we all stem from a single cell organism is, there's not a missing link. It's almost like all the links are missing, you know. If you really start right. to unpack it, it's ridiculous. But we build our new science on old science 
But if the old science is faulty, Darwinian evolution, or certainly neo-Darwinian evolution, then, uh, then how much confidence can I put in that new science if I don't believe the science it's built on, right? Right. So it, uh, that was probably the big one. There were things that didn't make sense to me. The age of the earth, you know, uh, evangelicals, conservative Christians believe it's 6,000 or 7,000 years. I'd love to believe that too, except that there's certain things you can't explain. Uh, so uh, I believe in a global flood. doesn't get you all the way to Noah's Ark, but it's, I believe there was a global flood or a series of floods. I believe the, the Grand Canyon was made by a lot of water quickly, not a little bit of water slowly. Mm. Uh, but I, I can't get past the, the distant starlight problem. And uh, so I, I think I'm probably more of a gap theorist. I think there's a bit of a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, so uh, we can't take it as, as a timeline. Right, yeah, when you read it, you think it's almost back-to-back. Back. Yeah, but there's no indication there's that no, it really is. Yeah. Right. There's so they no, could have been, Adam and Eve could have been in the garden for a billion years before before the temptation. Right. It would make more sense if they were, because why would why would the enemy need to tempt them if they were only in there for a second? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it makes way more sense. That If they were so closely, if, they, if it was only a week ago that God warned them not to do it, they would be less likely to do it. Right. But if it's been... Billions of years, years. And, and, yeah. you know, then maybe they would be more inclined to do it. But, right. So I, uh, there's things that I don't believe in science, uh, you know, like a global flood. Like the, I don't believe the Colorado River by itself formed the Grand Canyon. Right. I believe that there was a glacial lake that had a mud earthen dam that burst, flushed through there, carved all, all of that canyon out itself. And, and after Mount St. Helens in 1980, there's proof that that could happen in, in a very short amount of time. A 600-foot canyon, 600-foot-deep canyon was formed uh, after Mount St. Helens that uh, it literally took two weeks to form, mm. you know, and it has the layers that they talk about, geolo- you know, the right. geological layers. So I think there's a lot of those things that are unanswered. Uh, I think that they 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 trying to get to a not-a-God solution to these problems, and, and, and there's some value in not falling back on the God thing, but... Um, it doesn't mean that you dismiss it altogether. So right. they found an interesting thing. I don't know if you want to spend time on this, but an interesting thing is a, a lady named named Schweitzer, Dr. Schweitzer from uh, North Carolina State University, found a a uh, a leg bone from a T Rex in Montana, I believe, and she couldn't fit it in the helicopter, so she cut it in half, flew it back to the the lab in North Carolina State, and uh, just for a goof, decided to put some of the tissue from inside the bone in, in under the microscope in some saline and she found pliable tissue. Mm. So she found proteins. So this here's the problem is that leg, if that leg is 65 or 75 million years old, why is there still protein in there? Right. right? It's That's not a fossil. So uh, the argument then would be maybe it's not, maybe it's not 75 million years old. Uh, they, the, but the approach they took after that was how did proteins last 75 million years? So they're so committed to the, the, the dinosaurs being so old that they won't even consider that, that maybe they're not as old as we think, you know. So uh, I think we, we tend to get, come to the conclusions we want to come to, and that, that uh, makes me skeptical. But I'm skeptical of pretty much everything, as you know. That is true. You are skeptical of basically <laughs> everything, and that's why I'm a paranoid freak now. Um, <laughs> let's read some of these comments. Lauren Herman is, was watching. I hope she's still watching. Hi, Lauren. She said hi to both of us. We love her. Hi, Lauren. Matter Daddy. Matter. He said, you guys rock. We love him very much. 
Adam said, a nerd from the streets. You're all screwed up, bro. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. He's only saying that because his story is literally almost the same as yours. He's also a nerd from the streets. Both you and Adam married your father. How freaky that is that? That is actually freaky. really freaky. Uh, my mom's on. She said, hi, guys. Hi, mom. I've always wanted to be somewhere and say, hi, mom. Woo. Woo, mom. Lauren's there. Oh, she's still here. I love her. She's so awesome. She's wonderful. She's seriously wonderful. She's my favorite person. Besides me. Besides a lot of people. But I just thought I'd say that to keep her watching. Okay. Yeah, she's top five. Yeah. You're top five of mine too, Lauren. Top five percent. So just so you know, top five percent. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. So I I think that um, your your story with with science with history backing all that stuff up, I find that super interesting. Again, because my story isn't like that. My story is like there has to be something bigger than me because this whole place sucks. This whole world <laughs> sucks. Like there has to be something, and I'm gonna pour my heart into it. Um, so once you became interested in this relationship, you're walking in relationship with Christ, you're speaking at, at men's Bible studies, you're volunteering and serving in the church, you come to next level. How um, did you come about really beginning to be interested in leadership and, and like a pastoral leadership in the church? Well, I think probably like a lot of people, I kind of thought instantly that I wanted to be a pastor and then I'm like, nah, I'm not pastor material. And so in that in that now 10 years, in September will be 10 years, uh, for a few years I, I just made it all in my head. So I had to figure out what was what, what I believed, what I didn't believe, who was right, who was wrong. I spent a lot of time listening to sermons and lectures by guys like R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, Matt Chandler, mm. uh, all, by the way, Calvinists, and I turned out to be uh, a free will guy. Uh, I wanted to be a Calvinist, but it didn't make sense to me. So... Uh, <laughs> But then the, uh, uh, at some point, about five years ago, um, I was still living kind of a sinful life. Uh, I was a leader in a sense at the church. People listened to me, uh, and, but I was also living in, uh, I was living an adulterous lifestyle every chance I got, uh, four blocks from here. So, uh, right. at some point I decided to my, um, on my own that, uh, and was no scandal associated with it. I just felt like either I'm in or I got to be in or I got to be out. You know, I can't pretend I don't believe this anymore because I study it all the time. I truly believe it. So I, uh, uh, either God's everything or he's nothing, right? So um, I believe he's everything. So I, I uh, slowly but surely uh, stopped, stopped uh, fooling around with women, basically. Uh, Thank no, God. It was a secret. I had no plan. I uh, I didn't tell anybody for 16 months, and um, I I didn't I, I got off Facebook. I stopped talking to women except hello and goodbye. I I didn't really had no clue how to handle that whole part of my life, and uh, but I was pretty committed to it. And uh, slowly but surely, I began to socialize again a little bit more, learning what I could say, what's too far. Certainly my sense of humor is what got me in trouble most of the time. So I had to tone down my sense of humor around women. And um, uh, so that was, that's where I kind of committed about five years ago to it. And then uh, I'd say about three years ago, they approached me about, or I approached them. We had been talking about starting the, the ordination process with our free Methodist denomination. Mm -hmm. And uh, still not, nobody knew, or, you know, uh, Michael and Christian had no idea that I was, uh, living a celibate lifestyle, I was a little embarrassed to tell anybody. So uh, uh, I, I signed up. I did my year. 
uh, I'd already done a year uh, in service, then I did my year as an LMC, and now I'm in my second year of a CMC, so I'm almost done. Uh, so, uh, so that really started probably three years ago, I'd say. Um, I totally know what you mean by that celibate, being embarrassed of that celibate lifestyle because Adam and I waited till marriage, spoiler alert, and that was the joke of our friends. It was hysterical that we decided to wait till we were married. And um, I remember being like a little embarrassed of it, but now I'm so thankful that I waited. It meant, it means so much more, you know, and our relationship is really bonded off something totally different. Yeah, than yeah. like a like a sexual bond. It's no, sorry, you're my dad, but yeah, and I don't want to hear about that. But it's just a really cool thing for anybody watching, like really waiting. Um, anyway, so um, I want to get into. I want to. I want to open the phone line here soon, and I want to get into um, kind of some current events that are going on in the world today. I'd like to talk about that with you and just um, have that discussion. But leading into that, how do you feel that? Being a Christian, okay, so for me, politics and current events make more sense to me as a Christian. Yeah. So once I became a Christian, that made more sense to me. I have a friend um, who's conservative, and she, I won't say her name, but we often have conversations about politics, um, more so recently. And um, to her, politi- because of politics— Christianity makes more sense to yeah, her. Yeah, so she yeah. kind of was the opposite way uh, where now that I'm understanding politics, I'm kind of understanding this God thing. I'm kind of interested in this God thing. For t- With me, I never, I couldn't care less who the president was. I could care less what they were doing. I had no idea what they were doing until I became a Christian and I start realizing, well, that's not right. Well, that's not what God's word says. You know what I mean? So how would you say that um, this being a Christian plays into your like patriotism? Well, in your I, life, I would say, I would say, first of all, I, I didn't care about politics when I was drinking and drugging. Ronald Reagan was the president. Uh, I was a punk rock anarchist, probably socially. Uh, I, I, you know, we grew up in the Cold War, so we never knew if we were going to get blown up. You know, if the nuclear holocaust was going to happen today or tomorrow. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a cowboy, and uh, he was very divisive personality. And uh, but me as a kid, I mean, I was into kind of anything antisocial, anything horrible, I was attracted to it. So I listened to Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and the Sex Pistols and uh, just uh, uh, just really as unpleasant as I can be to, peep, to normal people, I, I, I tried to be that. And uh, uh, it wasn't until I quit drinking in 1989, and then, like I said, a year later I went to college. Well, I, I took political science leading into the election in 1992, so I'm, I'm studying political science during an election year, which was perfect. Uh, I was, uh, I probably hate, I hate to say this now, but I was a Democrat. I, I registered to vote for the first time in my life since I, since I quit drinking and being a criminal. I, uh, uh, I voted in every national election uh, in, since, Kennedy, since uh, Clinton in 92. I voted for Clinton, uh, probably voted for him twice. Uh, How do you feel about that now? Uh, I thought... <laughs> Uh, now I can tell you, I, I liked Bill Clinton. I was very disappointed, kind of idealistic when the Monica Lewinsky thing happened. And that kind of broke my heart in a sense, you know, for politics, for mm. the, for the, uh, the uh, kind of the 
the holiness of the position to be president of the United States. I was a big Abraham Lincoln guy, a right. uh, big Civil War guy. Um, and so uh, I started, I saw it, my family was Irish in New York, so we were Democrats. We were Kennedy Democrats, though, not, and it's very different than Democrats now. Mm -hmm. We were working yep. class, and working class people were Democrats. So, uh, but I, so I registered to be a Democrat, and then I started listening. I, I, I started a business cleaning office buildings when I was in college, and I started listening to a, a, a talk radio in the middle of the night because that's when I was in these office buildings cleaning. And I started listening to guys like uh, Newt Gingrich, who I thought was the smartest person I'd ever heard in my life. And I never heard anybody talk like this guy. And uh, the things he said made sense. So slowly but surely, I became more conservative. Now on social issues, certain social issues, I've always been conservative. So I, was, I didn't become pro-life after I became a Christian. It was always seemed stupid to me that, that killing a baby, if somebody thought killing a baby was anything but murder, it seemed dumb to me. Even, right. Even you could ask me that when I was a teenager. It's, to me, it doesn't make sense because it literally doesn't make sense to me because it's my body, my choice. I could kill my baby if I want. However, if I was pregnant and somebody came and shot me, they would get charged with double murder. Right, right. So right. it does. It's contradicting. And it's um, it's two bodies. It really is. And yeah. We, we know if we want to get a little scientific, we know that the the entirety of the baby's genetic code is lit is written and complete at six or eight weeks. Mm -hmm. That means it's scientific. by the time you know you're pregnant is about six or eight weeks. Yeah. So you know now that that is. It, it may be still a glob, but its DNA is complete, and it is completely a different person, right. scientifically, With genetically, genetically different than you. So it's two bodies. I didn't know that back then, but nobody knew that back then. Right. We know that now. Uh, so in 1974, when that all became legal, they really thought it was a glob of, of, of cells. Nobody had any idea. So I can understand how they might have come to that conclusion, but you can't really get to that conclusion now. So, right. But I, that the point is that the... I still f figured everything out for myself. I didn't take anybody's word for all this stuff. I, I respected their opinions and, and considered their opinions, but it didn't mean that that was my opinion. Right. That was kind of how exactly how I felt, too. Like, growing up, like, that's not something that I would do, but I don't really care if other people do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's just not something that I would do from just because I couldn't do it. But now, I, as a different person, I understand the difference. You know what I mean? And just... I had a friend in high school who was 15 and got pregnant and had a baby and gave it up for adoption. I remember even being 15, and, and this is one of my best friends, being 15 and thinking to myself, how could you give up your baby? I don't care if you're 15. But now she gave it to somebody that couldn't have children, and this kid has an incredible life. Yeah, yeah. And my friend was able to, she's in the Navy. Her yeah. husband's in the Navy. She has two beautiful children now with her husband. Both of them have better lives because of that selfless decision. So to me, I don't want to make, and I don't want anyone else to make two mistakes. Yeah, so yeah. you make one mistake, getting married out of wedlock or whatever. Uh, having a baby out of wedlock. Had a, yeah, having, yeah, that's what I mean, having a baby out of wedlock. So that's your first mistake. But I don't want to make a second mistake off that first mistake. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm going to, you know what I mean, I'm going to do the right thing now. It doesn't make sense to do two mistakes over one mistake. Um and that's logical. So that makes sense. That And then at least the baby has a chance. But the, uh, but so I was a Democrat, but I would, if you asked me what I thought about that back then, I would tell you it's, it's murder. It's nothing right. else. Uh, and I had conflict with people over that. And then the, uh, but I, I, I decided, I began to see how, how um, toxic the par, uh, partisanship is, right? So it strikes me as, as kind of creepy that people, 
seem to believe exactly what their political party believes. And if their political party changes their mind, they change their mind. That's creepy to me. That is kind of creepy. So, uh, uh, Robotic almost. So I became, I, I changed my registration to independent after a few years. And uh, so I've never actually been a Republican. Uh, I was a Democrat and then I became an independent years ago and probably 25 years ago, I bet. But uh, uh, I get mail, creepily enough, I get mail from the Republican Party uh, like to their, fellow, of- to their fellow Republican. So they're obviously, they're either figuring out how I vote or, or what I say on social media. But yeah. they really, literally, the Republican Party thinks I'm a Republican and send me, you know, surveys and Republican information. And I probably, I, I can tell you now for sure, I, I, I voted for Gore. I, uh, I voted for Clinton. Uh, I always prided myself on being able to vote for anybody you know, as an independent, even as a Democrat, but the, uh, I could, I can't see a scenario where I would vote for a Democrat anymore. I, I mean, there's no, they seem like an organized crime family to me and the control they have over the media and how the media protects them. And it's, uh, it's so un-American, so bad for our democracy, for our Republic that, uh, uh I, I mean, I'm God bless anybody that can, that does it. But for me, I, I don't, can't imagine I would ever vote for a Democrat again after all these years of being the guy that would vote for anybody. It's right. just I've gone. I'm not even a big Trump fan, but the Democrats have me rooting for the guy. Right. You know, I I think to myself, oh, I hope he gets it. I hope this is this is not what they say it is, and it never seems to be what they say it right. is. You know, they they control the media, they control our colleges, and that's very dangerous. It people that don't see that it, it's it's uh it's it's again it's a little creepy that people are so devout so devoted. They're as devoted to their politics as I am to my Creator, right? Mm. To my Savior. That's- that's, that's freaky. Well, that's well. We're born with a natural urge for, um, like like you say, we have a God shaped hole when we're born. We fill that with whatever else, you know. So that idol is is that God shaped hole that people are filling that with. Um, I also, as a graduating from high school, as an eighteen year old, um, registered as an independent. So I'm I actually believe I'm still registered as an independent, but I um, now with my Christian understanding and kind of leads me to very conservative right side. Um, I do like Trump and I do support Trump and I think he's probably one of the best presidents this country has ever had. He's doing an incredible job and he's doing a great job. And I, so I, um, it's, I, I personally like Trump, but I totally agree with what you're saying with the debt. Like there, there's not being a Trump supporter. doesn't mean I agree with the guy as a person. I think he's, He's a jerk. Like, yeah, yeah, we all yeah. know he's a jerk. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying he's, like, freaking Jesus. But I think that what you're saying is totally right about not being able to vote for a Democrat because their views are so warped, in my opinion. And getting more so. So now as you become politically aware, you're seeing a uh, – I was kind of a centrist. I probably still am on a lot of issues. But the the left has gone so far left, mm-hmm. right? The, they're, they've lost – they left a reservation. I mean uh, – it's what they're what they're proposing now is is totalitarianism. It's it's uh, fascism. It's it's socialism. Uh, it's all the things that have never worked. Uh, how a how a young person can go to college, graduate, and come out thinking somehow that socialism is good, and they when they took economics, did they skip the twentieth century? <laughs> like one hundred and thirty people died at the hands of socialists. You know, socialism fails now. 
There are, in a perfect world, in a vacuum, socialism is a great idea. Your family is run socialistically, mm. right? Not all the kids right. bring, bring in money, but you feed them, right. right? Your church is the same way. Not everybody tithes, but we right. support them. Uh, so if you have that kind of homogeny, that common, that there's got to be some commonality. That's why Stalin had to kill everybody, because he ended up killing everybody that, that was didn't share his view. That way he would com- create kind of a... a, a a homogenous society that then socialism would work. So they know it, they know it takes that for it to work. So what they don't tell you is they're going to have to kill everybody that disagrees with them right. uh, in order for this to work. Uh, Castro did the same thing. I mean, once he got power, he, he killed or ran off all everybody that helped him get the power because they didn't agree. Stalin killed guys that, that, uh, that were some of his leaders because he suspected they didn't agree with him. And that's exactly what we're seeing today um, is Maybe not physically kill, even though we're seeing tons of violence from the left, um, which eventually the right is going to get pissed off, guys. Spoiler alert. You better be careful. But but, um, we're seeing so much violence really coming from the left that, so they're not even killing yet, but they're emotionally killing you know what i mean like so they're killing your name they're if you're if you don't agree with them you're racist if you don't agree with them you are a sexist if you don't agree with them you're you know whatever so so rather than having a conversation they're very i will kill your name you know what i mean you're done well last time i checked 19 people died in these peaceful protests 19 most of them black 19 people died, and, and the media tells us that, that that's a fringe or that's an outlier. Uh, but the same media will tell you that everybody that supports Trump is a white supremacist. So we, here's the interesting thing. We pray, for, we pray for mercy for ourselves, but justice for our enemies. Right? It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So they say that everybody that supports Trump is a white supremacist, but not everybody that, that marches is, a, is Antifa or Black Lives Matter or terrorist uh, right. you know, vandalizing and stealing. Right. So they defend the, the, they defend the fringe. They separate the fringe for themselves, but then they lump everybody together for their opponents. It doesn't work that way. And you'll never gain any ground, uh, socially with your issues by, by, uh, dividing society. So the, uh, the idea that, that people, that, that all white people should vote a certain way, all black people should vote a certain way, all gay people should vote a certain way, all Christian people should vote a certain way, is ridiculous because we are, uh, we are, we have the right to think for ourselves. We're endowed with that by our creator, not by our government. So our, our rights come from our creator. It's, it's delineated in the, in, in the documents. So, uh, the government doesn't give us the right to life, liberty, and, and, and happiness, pursuit of happiness. Uh, our creator does that. The government, the, the constitution is written to limit the power of government, not to limit the power of the people. Mm. And we've got it so backwards. I'm ready to preach right now. <laughs> we got it so backwards. Um, another interesting thing is, like, today I was watching this. Um, this it, it was a debate, but it was an in, it was an interview, an amateur in, interview um, with this reporter and with a liberal. And she says to, or the liberal says to her, you're voting for Trump. She said, I am. He said, and she says, so you're a white supremacist. And he said, just because I'm voting for Trump? Well, then you're, you're a pedophile. And yeah. she's like, I'm not a pedophile. She's like, you voting for Biden? He said, yeah. Then you're a pedophile. You like to smell kids, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're a pedophile. But they don't, they don't, like you're saying, they don't want to be lumped with that group of people. But they need to lump everybody else. But they together. need to lump everybody else. Yeah, so, so it's, it, it's ridiculous. If, you're most, if your argument 
becomes emotional, it's probably because your logic is beginning to fail. So mm. the reason they, the reason they, it's called an ad hominem argument. So they can no longer out argue the, the point logically. So they attack the person making the argument. Uh, it, it's, uh, it is, um, it is a clear sign. It should be a clear sign when you do it. You know, we should, we got to look in the mirror at ourselves too. So when I, when I begin to, in an argument, attack somebody's character rather than their point of view, right, then I need to realize that my argument's fall, failing right. too, you know. But if you have to, if you can't argue your points logically and, and, and be relatively successful, it's hard to measure what would be a successful. You're not going to convert, you're not going to convince anybody of your, your point of view. Right. Especially if they've been, you know, they spent the last 20 years Kind of be growing their their ideology. Uh, some people are people do not atheists do not remove God from their lives. They replace God in their lives. Exactly. So they worship something. So it's they're either worshiping themselves, their education, their intellect, the science, money. money. Right. They're worshiping something. So right. they're one way or another. No one is godless. They just change gods. Exactly. Augustine talked about that uh, in his writings. Um, another cool thing. Um interesting thing is in the media um and we talked about this i believe it was you that i talked about this yesterday maybe but cnn trump goes to um mount rushmore and he's he's supporting men that were condoned slavery and that stole land straight from the right straight from native americans right technically that stuff is true yeah um however when when um Bernie Sanders goes to Mount Rushmore, or Hillary Clinton goes to Mount Rushmore. It's majestic. Look at this, this politician walk, taking a peaceful strolling walk, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just like this beautiful thing. And it's the same exact Stat- news, news um, well, channel. They, that what, when they talk about Trump derangement syndrome, it's very real. People, I'm amazed how much they loved Obama, who I was not a big fan of, and then they they are uh, they are. They, they hate Trump. They hate anything to do with Trump. And I'm not even a Trump fan, but he's he's not the things that they say he is, right. or it doesn't appear to me that they can make a very good case that he is. Um, so here's the thing, and it's it's this is the reality of the situation. We did not introduce war to Native Americans, right? We got in in a war in wars or skirmishes with Native Americans, and they lost, right? And part of that is. Uh, you lose your land. And that's how, by the way, how nations have been determined for Forever, eons. Right? So the only, the only nation I could think of that wasn't determined by, mili- by military conflict is Israel. And, and a government, the UN, created Israel in 1948. And, um, and it's been the center point of, of war ever since, right? So war plays a role in borders. Don't, and and the, the, what worries me is we're teaching these kids that, that – Prior to Columbus getting here, uh, the Indians were sitting around trading pelts and smoking opium and, and everything was hippie cool. <laughs> they, their nations were determined internally by, their nations were determined by war too. So the Iroquois nation and, and, and the Dakota Indian nations and whoever, whoever you name, they were constantly in battle with each other for right. territory and everything. So the idea that, you know, the truth is, as, hard, as mean as it sounds... We have the, the, the central part of North America because we won. Mexico lost, the French lost, the Spanish lost, and the Indians lost, and we won. And right. that's how nations are determined. So 
Uh, it, it, we can't hold the United States to any greater standard for those things than we hold everyone else to. But And people try to, and it, it's, it makes an awful nice Hallmark card that this is not our, you know, we're above this. And, and you know, that would, that's an awesome coffee cup and a Hallmark card, but it's not the reality of life, right? Right. I mean, there is, they, I challenge anybody to name a nation besides Israel that wasn't determined, you know, their borders weren't determined by war. Right. It's, it's the nature of man. Um, there was not just war in, in Native Americans, there was things like cannibalism in Native American right. culture. And that's kind of um, where, that's kind of where I'm at with it is things that, things were normal, that was normal then. So, and not that that makes it okay. I'm not condoning slavery. I don't think slavery is a good thing by any means, um, but it was normal then. And um, in fact, slavery was part of the, the spoils of war. If you lo- if your country lost, your people were generally enslaved. Well, we didn't enslave the Indians necessarily. We did use them with the Irish people and the Chinese to build right. the railroads and stuff. But the uh, uh, we, we liberated Europe, and we didn't take Germany. We didn't take half of France because they liberated their country. We liberated their country for them. So uh, if we're talking ethically, we certainly handle things. Look what we did to Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have taken Japan for ourselves, and instead we, we, we helped them rebuild their country, right? And they, they were allowed to have a defensive army. Um, they, they were allowed to participate in world economy and took over world economy in the 80s, right? I mean, everything was made in Japan. So the... Uh, if, if you're going to make that argument that, that white European Christians are, are evil and, and condone slavery and these types of things, uh, the only argument I would make is then why are, we, why are these countries still countries? Why, aren't they, why haven't they been colonialized by the United States? Because every other country, including England, Spain, and France, colonialized it. When they defeated somebody, they, colonial, they took over their country too. Right. So... Uh, uh, it, if you if they're making an argument with lack of information, they're making they la- they have the lack of information because they haven't been exposed to the full story. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't make these things okay. War is a horrible, horrible thing, yep. uh, and, and the world now is less war. We war less now than we have. Uh, Nietzsche warned us that if we if since we killed God, he didn't he wasn't celebrating that we killed God when he wrote God is dead. Uh, but he was warning us that at a godless society, if Nietzsche said the twenty. 20th century will be the bloodiest century in, in mankind's history. Guess what the 20th century was? The bloodiest century in mankind's history. And you could add up all the other centuries, and we killed more people died in, in the 20th century than died in war uh, or, or genocide than any other nation, than any right. other uh, century. So uh, the, what role did the United States play in that? We played a very noble role in those things. So people argue, when was America great? America's always been great. What it hasn't been is perfect. Right. And if the standard is, is perfection, if the only thing that makes America great is perfection, certainly socialism isn't the answer either. Right. So uh, 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 the problem is our, the people that, that argue these things are, are not as informed as they could be. And if they still come to that conclusion, then that's fine. But uh, the, to think that to think that the you know we introduced warfare or or Columbus was a genocidal maniac that he purposely handed out smallpox blankets, nobody really knows that. You know? Right. Uh, so it uh, uh, it's just a it's a weak argument, but nobody argues against it it's in our colleges and institutions certainly, and uh, so they leave college thinking that these things are absolutely true. I mean, they think Harriet Tubman 
freed all the slaves. Harriet Tubman played a very big role in freeing slaves, but by and large, white people freed the slaves. Right. We fought a war. 250,000 50, Americans in the North died setting those, uh, the majority of who were white, setting and the, those, free, those the, slaves free. The president, who was a Republican at yeah. the time. The, Repu the, the Republicans Republican, freed the slaves. The Republican <laughs> Party was, was founded on abolition. Our, by the way, our denomination, the yes. Free Methodists, yep. are founded on as abolitionists. Yep. Uh, so they uh, they had a problem. B. T. Roberts had a problem with with Methodists at the time. It was Episcopal Meth uh, Methodist Episcopals that were we were they were officially anti-slavery, but some of them owned slaves. And B. T. Roberts in the 1850s said this. This is not okay. We can't own slaves. Right. Granted, he was from upstate New York where there was no slaves. It was right. easier to. Right. Here's the thing. People that are all, uh, that are holier than thou now in the 21st century, if you put them back in the 19th century, if their economy relied on slave labor, they would have been okay with slavery. Right. Most that's, and, that's, and that's exactly what I mean by it. I'm not condoning it. And I don't think it's okay by any means. But it was normal then. That's, that's how the world worked. Yeah. And... Um, Unfortunately, that's but I that to me that's part of our history. I grew up learning about slaves. I grew up learning about how we can overcome in America so many obstacles. You know what I mean? Um, Martin Luther King was a hero, and yeah. I believe that still to this day believe that Martin Luther King was a hero. Um, we have black family members that we love and care about very much, and I could not imagine not having them in our family. Well, I hope, and you'd probably support this, or your mom certainly would. I never allowed my kids to be anything but, uh, but uh, not race blind uh, or right, color right. blind, but regardless of some the color of somebody's skin, you treat everybody as an individual. And if they turn out to be bad, then you treat them, you, you, you act accordingly. You, you don't have uh, evil people in your life. But if they, uh, it doesn't matter uh, I've gone through this, I think, with each of you individually, uh, where you had some kind of conflict or question about that, and it doesn't matter to me um, what color somebody's skin is. If they're if they're a jerk, you you treat them they're like a jerk. jerk. You know right. what are you going to do? But if they're good people, and and I've had my best employee in the plumbing company was like my son, and he was black, you know, and he was uh, he was a gangbanger from Detroit. I remember when I hired him, he was wearing all these fancy clothes his first day of work. I said, "You're going to wear that to work?" I took him. Uh, mm. to Walmart and got him jeans and boots and t-shirts because uh he didn't know no he thought that he, he was dressed to the nines to go to work I said bro that's not the kind of work we do uh so he just ignore that for now oh, uh, it's, it's ringing yeah just ignore it for now so the uh uh it's important that we treat everybody as to we take everybody as individuals and we have to understand too that not everybody's going to share our worldview um and that is one of the, the hardest things theologically that I had to get used to was that salvation wasn't for everyone. Mm. So I'm, I was blessed that after I came to faith, you guys came to faith and, and my kids, my younger kids were raised in church, but you guys weren't, but yeah. came to faith anyway. But the truth is even people we love uh, are not going to be saved. So and that's, and that's, scripture sorry. tells us narrow is the gate and few will enter and broad is the road to destruction and many will follow it. That's a hard pill to swallow if, if these are people that you love, that you're related to or that you work with or you're friends with and right. you care about. I, there's people that I love and respect on, on uh, social media, on Facebook, but I can't believe they're, the things they put up. You know, it's just yeah. heartbreaking to me that they're, to me, they're so wrong. They're so far off base. Um, they are worshiping the wrong God. You know? Yeah. And that's, and I totally agree because it's like, 
with everything going on and they want they want to defund police and they want to the, these laws to make to stop oppression uh, and they want all these different things um to me i don't believe that anything is going to change until we bring it like to through jesus in my opinion don't think there's going to be a change you can't a law is not going to change somebody's heart guys it's not going to change somebody's heart um the only way to change your heart is is really through christ and and i believe that and i pray for those people that don't know him and i pray like you were saying it i that's the way to love and that's the way to accept and that's the way to really care about each other and and to not divide each other and to not identity politics yeah like yeah like i think the only way that anything is going to change is when your heart changes and the only way to truly change somebody's heart is through jesus christ and i believe that 100 percent. and what you just said is so important so we the you know we can be legalistic we can not commit adultery right uh the mosaic law was do not commit adultery uh Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his, his most famous sermon, uh, he kind of made these things an inside job for us. So we no longer fight adultery. We fight lust in our hearts. Mm-hmm. He said if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery, right? right? So, and that, that goes to, that's a theological or a doctrinal uh, viewpoint, but it goes to our, our, how we live our lives societally. Mm-hmm. So our politics... Um, if we are, if we, um, we've made so many mistakes putting Band-Aids on a problem rather than addressing the problem, then, and, and to boot, there are people that benefit from the problem. So they're making, I don't know how many people make six-figure incomes off of, off of uh, fighting our social issues uh, or more, right? Uh, uh, Al Sharpton, I mean, he owes $3 million in taxes. How much did he make if he owes $3 million in taxes? <laughs> And uh, what he does is is back basically blackmail corporations. I will, I'll, I'll protest you. We will boycott your company unless you give me a million dollars or whatever he does. I don't know what he does. Right. So he uh, he ends up uh, uh, benefiting from. If you think someone like Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson is gonna is looking to solve the race problem in our country, you're a fool because right. he's making a fortune off our race problem. A race problem, by and large, that doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Not to the extent, anyway, that they deliver it on, on news. So they talk about cops systematically hunting down and killing black people. Statistically, it's not true. So I'll give you some FBI statistics from 2019. Uh, roughly 10 million interactions with the police in the United States in 2019 for all everybody. So the police were answered... 10 million calls mm-hmm. for in one year across the country. Uh, of those 10 million, 1,004 civilians were killed by the police. That's not a bad number. 1,000 out of 10 million is percentage-wise. It's, not, it's a very low number. Of that 1,004, 41 people were unarmed. So that's a little more concerning. That's 4%, right? right? So 41 people unarmed killed by the police. Doesn't mean they're not a threat. Simply means that they were unarmed when they were killed. Right, right. So so of those 41 people, nine of those people were black, right? 19 of them were white. So you are almost twice as likely to to be killed by a cops if you're white, except that... uh, 
that should be the case because there's like four times as many or three times as many white people than, than black people. So there is a disparity there. But the, uh, the idea that cops are systematically hunting down African-Americans to kill them, the problem doesn't even exist. Now, it happens, certainly, but statistically almost never. Right. Uh, but the, so this is, this is how people, again, that I love and respect, and they truly believe that this is an issue because they can't get away from it. They went to college. They turn on CNN. They turn on MSNBC. Uh, they are, the way they're raised, yeah, their own parents' views. Yeah, they are so misguided that if you were to sit down and do the math statistically, it's not a huge problem, but it's a problem right now that's about to divide our country in two. Yeah. That's a big problem to me, and we talked about it earlier, but I've since I quit drinking and drugging and getting into history more in American history, I've always been kind of a patriot. Now I struggle with what role a pastor should play. Can a pastor be a patriot, and, and am, I, am I supposed to be a pacifist? I can't imagine me allowing somebody to hurt somebody in my flock you know, right. that without defending their lives. So uh, I'll, I'll imagine I'll have to sort that all out with God, my creator, on Judgment Day. But in the meantime, <clears throat> no one's coming to burn down my church with my kids in it or right. or shoot up my or, or, you know, beat up my kids or my people that go to my church. I'm just not going to allow it. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of, of uh, unless God tells me, speaks to me, and, and it reveals to me that I'm supposed to be a pacifist, it's not going to be me. I mean, certainly Christians will be, but I don't believe to turn the other cheek means to be a, a victim. Mm-hmm. You know, as a shepherd, I'm supposed to protect my flock from wolves, and I'll do that. You know, that's that's it. It sounds cavalier for me to say that, but it's something that bothers me. It's a conversation I've had with other Christian men uh, in private. Uh, what role should do we do we or should we really play like that? You know, right. And that's one thing I'm thankful for as. Um, having you as my dad is I know that I'll, I'm protected and <laughs> I have a good, you know, um, soundboard to go to in those situations. Um, but, um, yeah, man, this was fun. So we are, uh, how long have we been on the air now? I can't even well, see minute, an hour and 13 minutes. It's been over an hour already. So being a, being, by the way, being a guest on a podcast is much easier than being the host of a podcast. Uh, so it is it is enjoyable for me to be on this side of the camera and get to talk a little bit more than uh, than, than I usually get to speak. Uh, do we want to open the phones? We got people still watching. Yeah, somebody um, just called, but I I couldn't get it. Did you put the Did you put the phone number up on the screen? Yes, I just I just did. Okay, so recently uh, you pinned it and it's up on there. It's so up on there. Everyone can see it. So the the phone lines will this be open. This is the number. You can call in now. See it down here. Uh Look, Carrie, oh, it's this way. <laughs> Carrie Corbett agrees with me. We have to protect the flock. Love you guys. Love you, Carrie. Thank you Love for you, watching, Carrie. buddy, as always. He's awesome, man. Anybody want to call in? Otherwise, if whoever called in, to call in again. If we uh, we don't really want to stop talking production-wise, uh, waiting for people to call, but I'll hear the beep and I'll stop talking and you can answer the phone. Uh, you got to take them off mute and in- tell them they're live. You got to let them know they're live on a podcast. Okay. Uh, so they don't say, uh, and if, they, if they're going to be crude and curse or say something horrible, we can't really stop it because it's live. Uh, so just mute hang them. up on you. Just hang up on them. Uh, but if you want to call in, the number is 727-600-5837. We're in the studio now. My daughter, Casey Robertson, is interviewing me. I am the guest on the Guy Logic Project this week rather than the host. Uh, and we've touched on an awful lot of topics here in an hour and 15 minutes. If you guys have any, uh, anything you'd like to speak into any of that, certainly we're here. Uh, 
We got a bunch of people watching, trying to trying to respond you to know, everybody one, that's um, asking and commenting. One super cool thing, um, going back to this this politics is is the the amount of how much I've learned in the last you know couple years regarding it, and and the the commentators that I'm able to watch. You know what I mean? And no. just their different points of view where they say something like, oh, dude, I didn't even think about that. Like, no. that makes so much sense. Like, we're really into Ben Shapiro. and. Well, the scary thing is the uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, certainly Facebook, they are, they are um, all very left-leaning. They're all leftist-run. Uh, they, they are cracking down on... On opposing viewpoints, uh, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I think it's really happening. Uh, we see, I see in movies. I just watched a movie the other day uh, uh, with Carly, and they said we're not going to let uh, we're not going to let Fox News determine this or something like that. So they were they had that anti Fox News. Uh, Fox is an interesting interesting channel because um, there wouldn't be a Fox News if there wasn't a market for for Fox News. So the, the uh, a large percentage of conservative thinking Americans or patriotic Americans were being uh, were being disenfranchised by CNN and ABC and NBC and CBS and all the movies. And, and so uh, Rupert Murdoch realized that there was a, a, a huge segment of the American population not being served by 24-hour news cycle and created Fox News, which now eats the lunch of all these other channels. Right. So more people watch Fox and, and they are vilified uh, but at least you're getting some other viewpoints. So before the 2016 election, I used to, I used to. You probably remember this. I'd watch some CNN and I'd watch some Fox and some CNN and some Fox and try to figure out what the truth was. You mm-hmm. know, uh, after the 2016 election, I I literally stopped watching the news for the most part. I turn it on for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and uh, it's always the same thing. You could miss it for a month and 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 turn it on and and it's it's they're still talking about Russia. And which turned out not to be the case, right? And they had they had proof we weren't going to believe there for a minute, and we never got to see the proof or hear the proof that that was the smoking gun uh, never came. So we have to realize that our media is is complicit in this, and and we need to both Fox and CNN and the left and the right. Uh, you need to really uh, treat all take all these things with a grain of salt and and kind of do some of the homework yourself. Uh, and I think watching both channels is important too, like you like you had mentioned, because the other day I was watching this po- uh, this um, documentary on Netflix about um, a Republican, and um, I'm watching it, and it's ob- very obviously um, written. Hey, a caller. Oh, let's see. I'm gonna press answer. And then tell them they're live. You gotta You're- unmute them. It doesn't say they're muted. You're live on the God Logic. They're muted on the board. Oh, this one, this one. Yeah. Okay, hello? Hey, you're, hey. you're live. Um, very obviously. Oh, we can hear us talking on your TV, caller. Hello? Hey, can you hear us? <laughs> <laughs> you got to turn off the YouTube, lady. I don't even have to tell you who I am. Oh. It's, it's your sister. How you doing, Eileen? <laughs> hello, hello, darling. I've been watching. 
Yes, I can. I've been sitting here watching. Well, you know. Well, no, do, you, do, do you have a question? No, I no no questions. No, I'm I'm doing good. No questions. I just wanted to you know call in and say I've been enjoying your interview tonight, Kevin Haggerty. It's been an eye opener. Well, thank you, my sister. Hey, Eileen. You know. You know, one thing I learned recently is that your son has very similar political views as us. So I guess he's he's top five favorite cousin again. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Wait, I'm glad he's your favorite. He's top five. I didn't say favorite. I didn't say he was my favorite. Well, uh, thanks for calling, I, and uh, I'm glad you watched the God Logic Project. Do you watch every week or every week that we have an episode? Oh, no, no. I just wanted to see my niece interview you tonight, and she's doing a great job. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Both well, of you on, on YouTube. Well, thank you, my dear, and thank you for calling in. We got, we got to open the phone lines for other folks, but thank you for taking the time to call in for watching. I love you, Eileen. I love you, my sister. You got it. I love you both. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was my sister calling. Uh, obviously. Is she your favorite did, sister? didn't have a question, uh, <laughs> but she, she did want to call in and tell us that she was watching. She she has a strange New York accent. Do you hear that New York accent? She's so cute. She, uh, when, I, when I quit drinking and drugging and moved to Florida and I went to college, um, I wanted to, I purposely intentionally tried to lose my New York accent. In other words, uh, I didn't want to sound like Robert De Niro my whole life. So I disciplined myself on being articulate and, and, uh, and speaking less like a hoodlum, right? I wanted to blend into the society a little bit better. But if I get, uh, if I'm around New Yorkers too long, or if I, if I get upset, you, you, you've heard it. Yes. My New York accent comes back if I'm mad. Uh, and I don't get very mad often anymore. Uh, which is part of one of the the gifts of of my faith and my walk with God is that uh, uh, I tend not to worry about the things that used to really upset me. You know, uh, it's funny growing up with you as a dad because I would never need to be have a spanking or anything because you would just hit me with the New York accent and I'd know you were not playing around. <laughs> like this is time to be serious, Casey. Yeah, and Kelly. So the uh, when when I was a kid, my name is Kevin. And so uh, I had a brother, Jimmy, and a brother, Billy. And uh, if they were in trouble, which was not as often as me, but if they were in mm-hmm. trouble, it would be James or William. And they knew they were in trouble when they got called by their official name. But when you're named Kevin, I had no idea. I'd walk into that room blind and, and get smacked across the face because I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't know what the heck they were calling me for because they weren't, you know, they didn't call me Kevy, you know. Right. Uh, so the uh, having a name like Kevin, uh, there is no... Some people call me Kev or Rev Kev, but rarely. So Maybe me and Lauren Herman can start calling you Kevy. Uh, it's probably best that uh, that Lauren Herman never calls me I think that's a good idea. Kevy again. Lauren, it's going down. We're gonna do it. I uh, you can call me Rev Kev. You can call me Pastor Kevin. I think that's probably uh, since you shouldn't call me Kevin in staff meetings. Casey, by the way, is ordained by our, the same uh, denomination. Going through, she begun her process. Uh, to be ordained, so she's technically Pastor Casey, uh, but she tends to, in staff meetings, call me uh, Kevin, and that is, I think, inappropriate. It's not scriptural. Well, I have to put him in his place when he thinks he's, his ideas are better than mine. 
Uh, and they're usually not. Well, let's face it. You are uh, a rock star. Yeah, so, a rock star. I mean, you, you already, uh, you've been here like less than a year, I think, and uh, you're already everybody's favorite staff member. So they, uh, they are, um, they, people that used to say, aren't you Kevin's daughter? Now say, aren't, say, see me and say, aren't you Casey's dad? Dad, so it's, uh, I need you to just stop talking for a second because I just need to drink some of my coffee. <laughs> All right, AJ. <laughs> Look at that cup. Liberal tears. In case anyone needs a good old cup of liberal tears. <laughs> yeah. I think AJ got me that for Father's Day or something this like is, that. This is a great cup. <laughs> I just wanted to show everybody Well, look that. behind you on the shelf is a Ben Shapiro liberal tears cup right look at, there. Look at that. And then Hot a, or cold. Uh, a, a, a huge a Rev Shapiro Kev fan. Cup. And uh, then the, remember when you had the Kevin the Plumber thing made, yep. uh, and they didn't use a capital P in plumber, and it, it always bothered me. Oh, that's why you so, never used it. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to keep it anyway for uh, for uh, kind of a, a memento, but uh, mm -hmm. plumber is an important job. It should be capitalized. <sighs> and not exactly Kevin the electrician. That could be lowercase. But that, when you get Kevin the plumber, that should really be That capitalized. is truly debatable in my opinion. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, man. So there's a very good chance nobody's going to call in. I really was hoping Carrie would. And, and because we talked about the things, here's the funny thing. Because we talked about the things that we talked about, it's very difficult for people to talk about these things. So I, am, I see people on social media making their arguments pro, you know, left or right, whatever it is. And I'll message them, want to come on the podcast? And they're like, no. Right. So they're they, not uh, confident in it. No. So they are, yep. they are bold in their assertions behind a keyboard. But if they were to sit down and have the conversation. So I always, I always admire people. By the way, I want to thank everybody for supporting the God Logic Project, subscribing to the channel. Uh, if there's anything we could ever do for you guys, um, just message me at godlogicproject.com. If you need uh, uh, help in recovery, chemical or emotional recovery, if you, you have theological questions, I'll be glad to work with you through those. And uh, certainly, if you uh, if you just need prayer, message me at uh, godlogicproject.com. I'll get back to you, and we'll uh, we'll set up a, a time to to talk on the phone. Uh, and if you have a story we can tell, and and a, if you have a, a salvation story or a story of recovery, uh, I'd be glad to to have you as a guest on the show. If you think if you think you uh, you'd like to be a guest on the show, message me. I've had a couple of guests that I I didn't know, but they messaged me, and we talked on the phone and. I like their story, and I, I made a podcast out of it. So if you want to be a guest on the podcast, certainly godlogicproject.com. You can message me there, and it'll come straight to me. Um, and I, I, I say that to say this. Um, I've always admired people that were willing to come in to the studio or willing to be on the show because we may very well talk about things in a podcast, a live podcast, by the way. We don't record this show generally. We do a live show. Mm -hmm. uh, that can be taken out of context or it could be a little bit embarrassing if you can't back up your, if you don't have time to Google your position, right. And back up your position. Right. So, uh, and oftentimes they, people don't, they just are listening to CNN and hearing words yeah, and know. repeating them like a robot rather than being able to back those up with statistics and, and both sides. Both yeah. Both sides. sides tend to definitely. Do that. So I, I, I always thank, and, and off the air, I always, uh, I thank and admire people that are willing to come on the show and talk about tough subjects. And, uh, and, uh, and you did a good job tonight case running this show. So eventually the God logic project will be taken over by someone else, probably somebody younger 
smart and better uh, looking. Maybe better looking, but not smarter. I mean, uh, at least maybe Carly can get to that point. But uh, you've got a lot of catching up to do, girl. You got a lot of catching up to do. Well, uh, um, you did I did a think really we good talk- job. We talked about um, co-hosting more often. So, um, but you got like twenty kids. So yeah, I also got a husband now. Getting you over here, we could take them, right, Adam? I think Adam should watch the kids by himself more often. I so think we, Adam should quit his and job and stay home with them, and I couldn't go to work because that's not a bad idea. This stuff is not fun. Being a parent is not easy. No, I've been a single mother for eight years. Yeah, instant regret. I think I'm, sometimes I think I'm not cut out for it. I'm not built to be a single mother. Yeah, I don't have the hips. Okay. There's that. that. That's not too embarrassing, is it? There's not much more you could say that would be embarrassing. Oh, Somebody's got, calling. That was we got very, another caller. I'm going to go that, ahead. And, that was very loud, by the way. It was very loud. You're on the God Hello? Logic Project. Hello? Hello. Oh, <laughs> what up, Patty? Not much. This is seriously a treat for Dad's sisters to be calling in tonight. Is this my other sister well, on the line? This is your favorite sister. We're just so cloud of uh, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is. Uh, she's trying to take over my my whole empire here. I don't have to try. To be fair, she looks so good on on uh, my TV. Even with the nose ring, which I'm not wild about. The nose ring was a instant regret, <laughs> and um, I walked out of that. Te- we went to the mall to get Easton's ears pierced, and. He, because he, we made a deal. We didn't want to get his ears pierced. Let's just be clear. But we made a deal. You don't have accidents for this amount of time. You can get your ears pierced because he wanted them pierced because Kennedy and Mason have theirs pierced. So we're like, okay, we'll take him to the mall. He gets scared. He doesn't do it. Adam's like, well, you've been saying you want to get your nose pierced. You want to just go get your nose pierced? And I'm like, ah, no. And he's like, why not? I'm like, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> After he just made fun of Easton for being scared. But I got it done. It was, it instantly was regretful. I... Didn't cry, but it was close to crying. Not when it got pierced, but that night, um, I instantly regret it. I hate it, actually. Well, you gonna let it close up? No, I went through this pain for a reason. In a couple weeks, uh, I'll be able to change the ring, and it won't be so freaking big. But do I don't you, like. Do it you know there. how I always say that that Carrie Corbett is probably the smartest friend I have? You know how I say that a lot. Carrie Corbett is my favorite. He referred to you as Kevin's daughter, which I think is highly appropriate that you take. (laughs) He does that because, sorry, Patty, I know you're calling in real quick. He does that because. I was like, did you forget I was here? No, I didn't forget (laughs) you were there. He does that because one time um, his wife, when I met his wife, I didn't even know he was married at the time. She had been working a lot. She hadn't been coming to church. And um, she says, he always, people always say, oh, you're Carrie's wife. And I'm sick of hearing it. So I changed it to Jen's husband. Yeah, just yeah. to make her feel better. So now it's like a big joke. So he always says Adam's wife, Kevin's daughter. Well, and, do you do you know this is the TV show itself is about half an hour or five or five seconds or so behind. Yes, we know. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you for your input. Well, yeah. I, I don't get to hear myself on on the TV now. Well, it's it'll be on there. You can look yeah, at it tomorrow. You, you can listen to it. You sound you sound great. Did you have a question, or did you just want to say how good Casey looked? Because we can't leave you on the on the line all night. Casey, I just wanted to say how good Casey looks and how proud I am of both of you. But mostly Aww. me. 
Yes. The more, as I grow up, I realize how much I act and, like, resemble my dad. So, not physically, because I'm obviously pretty, but... Um, I'm obviously pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely get that part from him. The looks from my beautiful mom. Oh, She's beautiful. Yeah. All right. All right, Pat. Well, thanks for calling. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow about 9.30. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, take care That's of That's really baby. why she's calling, to make sure that I'm not bailing on her tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. What is, what is with those New York accents? What is with your sisters? My sisters don't, don't call me. They never call me, and then all of a sudden we're on the air, and they call, and they don't even got a question. All they want to do is, uh, is, is just to be on the air. <laughs> I could do I could do just an episode with just them with my family calling in. Yeah, you and got like a hundred brothers and sisters, so. Well, we're Irish, and some of the stereotypes are true. We have like a hundred kids too, so, so it's I'm not judging. So we drink too much, we fight too much, and we have too many kids. Those things are those stereotypes turn out to be true, at least mm. in my family. Yep. So, All right, Kev. Well, this God Logic Project Studio is awesome. You've done a great job. Yeah, it's very cool. It's it's weird to sit on this side and, and realize uh, how much stuff we've done to this room and how it's really coming along. And just the fact that after a year, we're able to use the equipment. Uh, so when we cool. started this, when I started this a year ago, I literally could barely use a computer. Uh, and now here we are. Like It's it's like Captain Kirk's uh, uh, bridge up there. You've got so much electronics around you. So it's, yeah. uh, it's really cool to sit on this side. And it's nice to have air conditioning this year where last year yeah, it was Yeah, it's warm nice in and here. cool in here. This is awesome, man. Definitely, if you guys, if anyone's ever interested in being on the show or want to tell their story or anything, um, you should do it because this is a cool experience. This Godlogic studio is awesome, man. Super cool. Well, let's see if we can, uh, when school starts again, if we can't start doing some stuff off outside of the studio. Mm -hmm. I've got the equipment now to do some remotes. Cool. The big banner behind me can come down, and I can uh, we can do interviews on location at uh, like if you got a big church doing a big Convention baptism or, or yeah, any big events in the recovery cool. community, we get out and kind of uh, interview people out there. So I'm looking forward to expanding this. The problem is God hasn't seen fit to issue me a wife yet, uh, or to put me in a deep sleep and take a rib out of my side. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm still. Um, I'm you can have Adam. I'm still raising uh, children uh, at the ripe old age of forty which I'm, at this point in my life, I should be done with kids. But uh, I'm almost 41, and I still have kids, which is crazy. It's, yeah, I, you're not almost 41. No, 42? Like 52? Like 53. I just turned 53. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? What the heck? I used to be happy. You are old. Man. Man. Best years are gone. They're gone. Well, that's well, it. If no one else called in, uh, Casey, do you remember how to do the outro? If no one told you they love you today, God loves you. I love you. Receive that. Be, Be blessed. blessed. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for supporting the God Logic Project. And if no one's told you they love you today, God loves you. So do I. Receive that. Be blessed. We'll speak soon. This has been a Rev Kev production. Your mileage may vary. Shut up, Kevin.